Hello and welcome to Boots Presents Taboo Talk, the podcast that asks the taboo health and wellness questions so you don't have to. I'm your host, Vogue Williams, and we have a really, really special episode for you today, all about premature births. A premature birth, also known as a preterm birth, happens anytime before 37 weeks of pregnancy. So roughly two to three weeks before what is considered full term. Approximately 60,000 premature babies, or preemies as they're also known, are born every year in the UK. One in four of those births will have been planned in order to protect the health of the baby or the mother or both. That means labour will either be induced or the mother will have a C-section on a pre-organised day. However, unplanned premature births account for the other 75%. And they can happen for lots of different reasons, from infections, illnesses, lifestyle factors and chronic conditions, to having multiple births or previous premature births. And while the physical repercussions for the mother and child can be incredibly serious, the practical and mental repercussions on the whole family can run incredibly deep which is why this is a good moment for a content warning. This episode will include conversations surrounding traumatic birth stories, child illness and also child loss. Please do bear that in mind when choosing whether to listen. Also, if you are affected by anything you hear today, there is a list of support services in our show notes. Okay, I'm delighted to be able to introduce three of our guests for today's show. First up, we have Carleen Brown. Carleen is the marketing manager for Boots and has generously agreed to share her story of giving birth to twins at just 28 weeks in 2020. Carleen is joined by sports broadcaster, podcaster and author Simon Thomas, whose wife Darina gave birth to their daughter eight weeks prematurely in October 2022. And also we are extremely lucky to have registered midwife and hypnobirthing teacher Leslie Gilchrist with us today. Leslie is the co-founder of My Expert Midwife, the award-winning skincare brand that aims to tackle taboos around pregnancy, birth and beyond. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Carleen, we will start with you, if that's okay. Yeah, perfect. So you gave birth to twins, Cameron and Mila, in July 2020 at just over 28 weeks and then incredibly sadly lost Mila. Uh, I'm very sorry to hear that, but I'm also hugely grateful that you are able and you're willing to come on to the pod to talk about what you went through. And my first question to you is, um, it's about your son, Cameron. How old is he now? and how's he getting on both like health-wise and just in general? So Cameron is two and a half in January now. He is thankfully doing absolutely amazing. He's my absolute hero. He He's just overcome all the obstacles that I thought he might have come up with. I think yeah. there were so many uncertainties that I thought he might experience with development or, you know, just like, was he going to hit the same milestones or like what was going to, what, you know, if there were any long-term implications, it was just all so unknown, but he's, yeah. um, he's just been signed off from his neonatal care um, the other week, which was amazing. And they just said he's all on, completely on track for where he should be now at that age, which is, it literally just blows my mind. Like when I see it, when I think back. Yeah. It's, it's so incredible to think that like, he's just like any other two-year-old now. Yeah. He's sassy, like a proper little toddler that I look back and I think, like I was just holding him the other day and his his whole arm and leg used to be the same width as my finger when he was first born. And I was just h- looking at him and I was like, you're just like this little chunk now. He probably still looks really yeah. giddy to other people. But for me, I'm like, yeah. you're huge. <laughs> you're such so a long- he was literally like that size. Yeah, yeah, he was two pound two, which is like 
basically the size of a bag of sugar, like 980 grams. It's absolutely insane. But 28 weeks obviously is extremely early. Yeah. And did, how was your pregnancy? Was it your first pregnancy? It was my first pregnancy. So I am, um, like I say, as you mentioned, obviously I had twins. Um, I am actually yeah. a twin too. So that re- that myth about uh, it skipping a generation. <laughs> Not true. Uh, not not true on every single case as I've found. No. So I, uh, yeah, it was my first pregnancy. If I'm honest, I think there's a lot of stuff in it that I've blocked out where I've, I was talking to the woman in the NICU and saying, oh, my pregnancy was, you know, really great. I felt lovely, like all of this. But even from our 12 week scan, it was flagged that Mila was really poorly. Yeah. So in like the first initial scan that we had, so we were regularly scanned and led through fetal medicine care throughout all of it. And it actually was probably actually quite a bit more traumatic than I think I've let myself realise because when I was talking to yeah. to the lady in the news, she's like, that's really scary that all those, we call it like scanxiety, like the anxiety you get around scans, like, oh, what's going to be wrong this mm. time or everything like that. But I think in my head, I thought my pregnancy was fine. But did you know then, because you found out at 12 weeks that something was wrong with Mila, did you know that you were going to give birth prematurely or was that just, did that just spring onto you? No, I plan was a plan C-section at about 36, 37 weeks, just because there was quite a big difference in their weights. So they were like, we'll yeah. have a C-section, be safer, like, but the stuff with Mila was never flagged as anything. We, we didn't know what it was. That I think that was the main thing. There was always seems to be some kind of fluid, but there was never really a clear reason why. Yeah. So I just remember going for my, I went in to see my midwife and she measured my bump. And what we found afterwards that my 28 week bump measured at 40 weeks. What? So, oh, yeah, because because Mila was poorly, there was so much fluid around her. Oh my God. It made my bump. So my body just amazing body that it is just did it what every woman's body does and it's like right kickstart into labor like you're 40 weeks wow, so oh my god I had absolutely no no idea I'd literally had taken a couple of days off work um because it was my husband's birthday so I literally gave birth the day after my husband's birthday <laughs> which I always tell him now I was like if I'd known I was going to give you twins I wouldn't have bothered getting you jeans to be fair <laughs> if I'd known that that was what I was going to get you, you had done enough <laughs> I'd done enough that day um the word premature hadn't even occurred to me I was just like okay like I'm big because I've got twins and stuff so it was a massive shock and like what happened how did you go into labour were you at home or yeah I was, at, I was at home and then I just remember going to going to him being like I think you might just need to call the hospital because it's like something just doesn't feel right and so obviously already by this point my body is kind of getting ready I think in my head I, I was kind of like I know there's some of the signs that I should be looking out for and they're happening but yeah. it, and then you know, the practical side of me is like, no, 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 this is, you know, we'll just go get checked out. So he called the hospital and they were like, it's fine. Just come in for a check and um, just bring your notes. But oh, yeah. because I'm a little bit of a, a planner, yeah, I'd actually, because we'd had those days off, we'd gone to, we'd already gone to the shops and got a few like little bits. So I was like, it's one thing I became obsessed about is I had these matching blankets and I was like, so my husband's like, get the notes and get the blankets. Yeah. But even then I was like, we need to take something else with us. So we got in the car and then halfway down the road, my contraction started. Oh, and I was no. just like, oh, this is really unpleasant. Like halfway down, <laughs> turn around the corner to the hospital, which thankfully wasn't too far away, which I am grateful for. And my water's just broke in the car. Now, you know, when I look at it now, I feel like I look at it from like an out-of-body experience because I can talk about it quite like calmly yeah. with a bit of humour. But it was kind of sounds like a movie, to be honest it, with you. That's it. I feel like if I'd seen <laughs> that on that, it'd be, it'd be like something from like an episode of Casualty or something like this that you don't expect to happen. And then we got to the hospital and he literally, he parked right in the ambulance bay out front and I kind of waddled in in my, my velour tracksuit with my waters all broken <laughs> and stuff and went through to the labour and I could hear them saying, oh, I think there's Charlene. And I was like, it's Carly, I'm here. Like, <laughs> like help me. 
So, um, and they were amazing. You know, they just go straight into action. Like, so you were still going to have a C-section as well. Well, that was the plan. <laughs> yeah. As I, my, my, my children did not want to stick to any kind of plan. And I just remember hearing them like they were wheeling me in and they said like twin one, which was my son Cameron is, is basically too engaged. By the time I got to the hospital, I was 10 centimeters dilated by the time oh I got my there. God. So they were like, we can't do a C-section. It's like not safe for him. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to push two babies out. I've, I've not prepped this. I'm not practiced yeah. like learning about this. You know, you don't. So yeah. And then all of a sudden it was like, no. And they were born at 127 and 141. Sorry, how you got to 10 centimetres without any gas and air or anything is like much respect to you. But when this whole thing was happening, were the doctors super reassuring or like, did you know that something might be wrong? I didn't know anything was wrong. The moment they started to get me in like the gown and stuff like this, I I was kind of like, no, this is, I think my scariest part, if I'm honest, was being put on the bed and being wheeled into the operating room because by that point, Steve wasn't with me. Yeah, He was still having to get all moved his car, getting all scrubbed up and everything. So I was just kind of like, Oh my God, this is, you're up. This is actually going to happen like right now. And I think that's when I started to panic, but they were all amazing, but there were so many people in there, yeah. which does give you that bit of comfort because there was a whole team per twin. Wow. That- so it did give me that comfort, but there was probably about 16 people in that room. And again, they're all like, you know, putting different things on you and getting you to sign waivers, you know, that you'd like usually have to sign and get all your paperwork done before while everyone was just everywhere. It was. Like for them, like it was like a military operation, but at the time it was, it's very overwhelming because you, you're still trying to even process that I'm giving birth now, let alone the fact everyone else. Well, you were watching TV like an hour before yeah. and then you're and then, just there. Yeah, then I'm there. And and, the, and then Cameron was born and he was two pounds, he two was inches. two pounds, and, two. Yeah. He, and um, Mila was two eight. She was two eight. Yeah. She was, uh, I say this now, I'm like, she was chunkier, but you yeah. know, like a chunky is, you know, I think it just... It gives you a, such a different perspective because I would never hold my, even my cousin's babies when they were younger, you know, when they had like six, seven pound babies. I was like, I can't hold them. They're too delicate. They're too big, too breakable. Yeah. And then there's my like little two pound, two, two pound, eight one. And um, I didn't actually see Cameron get taken to the NICU. I heard him cry. I didn't hear him. Mila was, um, she was actually transverse. So they had to turn her around Oh wow! and then basically pull her out. So she, and then she was born breached. So she had quite a, an even more traumatic start to life than, than Cameron did. But I, they did say like, oh, let mum just see her. And I was just like, oh, I'll see you soon. But I said to my husband afterwards, I was like, what were you thinking in there? Like we, we only recently probably spoke about it in the last year. And he's like, I just remember holding them holding the babies up and me thinking like that can't be real. Like they're, they're too small. Was it quite shocking to see because yeah. you never, like you never see babies like that. No. And they held Cameron up. And again, I was just like, is that it? Have I just... Is that my baby? Have I just given birth? Like it was so, it was so, so surreal. And then well, that a baby can even cry at that size. I, I mean, say cry, like bless him. He sounded like, you know, like a little cat, like meowing. It was such <laughs> yeah. like the sweetest sound. But obviously the, all you want to hear is that noise. So they got whisked away from you straight away. Straight to the and, NICU. And, and, and then what happened from there? And then I think I went down to see them probably about like six in the morning. So a few hours later, I was allowed to go down and see them. And by that point they were on ventilators and in like they were in the same ward in like two different incubators next to each other and yeah like thankfully I was able to like walk down and go and see them but obviously that was like I feel very lucky even for that because there were so many people that either couldn't come down because they were still either recovering from c-sections or a lot more traumatic births or there was remember there was one person who literally got wheeled in in her hospital bed from the labor ward because she couldn't get out of bed but 
she just wanted to see her baby. Yeah. You know? So it's such a natural thing to want to do. And it, it's the it's the weirdest thing. With breastfeeding, like how does that work? Uh, you, could you hold them? Yeah, thankfully the hospital that I was at, and it's not the case for everybody, so I can only speak from my experience, was we had, there was actually a like a hospital in, tra- in transition rooms on site. So, so the twins were meant to be born on the 29th of September and they were born the 10th of July. And I literally lived in the hospital from the 10th of July until about the 6th of September, like literally in a room just down from the NICU. So I was very grateful because I could literally just walk up and kind of go and see them. And breastfeeding was something I really wanted to do. I do definitely think, um, <laughs> you're probably this as well, though, just because it's like a natural thing doesn't mean it's an easy thing to do. Yeah. And that's, I think that's generally with babies completely but then trying to breastfeed a baby who is literally still learning to breathe. Yeah. It's, you know, you can't do a lot of that. So there's a lot of, um, the main people that I made friends with were in the expressing room. So you can't have this one room that you're all facing the walls, not looking at each other. Obviously because of COVID. I'd love to know. hear the noise in that room. Oh, <laughs> I, can, I can hear it. Yeah. That breast pump noise. That's just, you can just hear it going with every single person. And yeah, we were all in, in there. So we'd express milk and then freeze it. And then that would then um, be what they had through their NG tubes and straight into their stomachs. Because I wanted to breastfeed, I would soon start to, I think when he was probably about 30, 33, 34 weeks, I would start to put him next to the breast when he was having his NG tube, just so he would start to feel that sensation of feeling full. Yeah. But at the same same time, he was still so tiny. I said, I remember saying to the doctor, I was like, you know that scene in Indiana Jones with that giant boulders coming towards him? I was like, that must be what this my boob looks like to this tiny little baby. He must be terrified right now. But yeah, but I soon started to do that. And I really wanted to do it. But again, he was just, it was just really tough to do. And then one of the NICU nurses gave me some nipple shields and was like, why don't you just try these, see if he takes to it. And it was like, for him, like I say, and again, it's not the same for everyone but he took to it so well yeah that's brilliant. so he so he did he did come home breastfeeding and tube fed and he was very stubborn even from like a NICU baby you can't tell NICU babies what to do they are like they're the, they're the strongest like type of baby you'll ever meet I, well, I remember I said to the nurse one day I was like oh are we taking his tube out today because he was actually being fed on the bottle and then fed on the breast as well so I thought and she's like no no we're doing that tomorrow and I was like but he's not got a tube in and he's also he'd also not just rip the tube out he'd rip the tape oh god off his cheeks so he had these red marks on his cheeks from where he'd like ripped it off and he just kicked up like hell to high water when like trying to get it back in so by that point we it. were like no like and they were like well you know what if he's feeding through like the bottle of like express breast milk and he's breastfeeding there's no real need to put it back in unless he needs it so he he came home yeah. without it that's brilliant and for you as well Simon are you still in in the throes of everything because you just had your baby in October yeah we're only six weeks in she she arrived six yeah. weeks ago yesterday as we're talking now so we're right in the the middle of it all thankfully home but no time yeah. to really self-assess or think What's been the impact on Dorina? What's been the impact on me? Just you just yeah. don't have time for that at the moment. How is your wife, Dorina? Uh, she's next door. I, I can hear Tanitha in the background. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's doing really well. Listen, I I don't want to ever speak on on her behalf, but it's it's yeah. it's a huge amount to deal with. Obviously, picking up what Carlene's been talking about, dealing with having a premature baby, which is massive and traumatic and, and everything in itself plus Doreen having to adjust to being a new mum and on top of that the next big layer which is having an emergency c-section and the recovery time and, and me as the husband trying to tread this 
tricky line of not being overbearing, but knowing ultimately that the less she does physically, apart from what she has to do with Talitha, the better the outcome in terms of how quickly she gets better. I love that you said that, though, because I think with that, like I just remember always being told to go and have a nap and like new mums, I don't think necessarily want to be told. Just like it's better to be around, as you're saying, Simon, and just kind of do stuff without them even realising you're doing it to kind of help that way. But uh, Talitha was born eight weeks early. Yeah. And you said it was via emergency C-section. So it was because your wife had um, preeclampsia. Yes. So what is preeclampsia? Well, what we've got coming up in a few weeks' time is, which I think is going to be really helpful, is what they call a medical debrief because the, the yeah. chain of events over that day was so quick yeah. and decisions were being made very quickly that having a full understanding of what was going on. I mean, essentially, we knew that there was a minor problem early on on one of the scans where they identified that there there might be a blood supply issue between Darina's placenta and the baby. Yeah. And what that meant was we had more regular scans just to keep an eye on that. And they said it, it may be that, that your baby is a little bit on the small side when it's born, but it was nothing more than that. So we had these regular scans. Yeah. And just over six weeks ago, Darina felt this really bad heartburn. So at this point, she's into um, week 32 and she's thinking you know, it's probably just a, a pregnancy symptom and stuff. And she actually saw her midwife on the Friday and the midwife measured her blood pressure and says it is a little high. So we need to keep an eye on that. And then over the weekend, she felt quite rough. On the Monday, she still went to work. She's a lawyer, went into London. She was still in work, fair play. Geez. She's still at work. Yeah, she's <laughs> she, she's incredibly driven. And off she went and came back and she was, she was not feeling good. And we went to bed that night and... You know, she was very much wanting to push on through and, you know, it'll be okay. But I, I just said to her that night, I said, have you, because at this stage, Talitha is moving quite a lot. Mm. So I said, have you felt the baby move today? And she went, oh, that's a good point. I can't. No, I don't know. And I said, do you remember the last time you felt her move? And she went, no. And at that point, I don't know, it was a little alarm bell went off in my head, not because I'm an expert. I thought, That's, that doesn't sound right. So I said, drop the midwife a line. So she did. Spoke to the midwife and the midwife said, you need to go to hospital tonight. So thankfully, Darina's parents live not too far from here. So I rang them. They came straight here to look after Ethan, who's 13. So he's not quite the age where you leave him alone at half 12 at night. Yeah. They arrived and off we went to um, to the hospital and they were just it was just endless tests right throughout the night. They kept checking on firstly the baby's heartbeat and thankfully that was absolutely fine. But it was Darina's blood pressure that they were most interested in. So this blood supply between her placenta and the baby had got progressively worse. And what preeclampsia essentially is, is when the, the mother's blood pressure begins to rocket and that can have a bad impact on of obviously the mother but also the baby as well and on top of that she had something called help syndrome which is hel double p which is a kind of liver and blood clotting disorder that's quite rare so she had yeah. that as well so suddenly we were into the realms in that tuesday they're they're essentially saying with her not expected and as i speak to you now she's still she still shouldn't be here until the end of next week yeah uh, and she's now over six weeks old they said we are going to have to operate and get her out today. So you've gone from being in that period of looking forward to the next few weeks. Yeah. Darina's beginning to really show because she was very neat, very neat yeah. for weeks, but suddenly beginning to show 
to be into the territory of a C-section and a premature baby and it all happened so, so quickly. Like, was her life in danger with something with blood pressure like that? Were, were they concerned by that? Were you we've, concerned about that? We've never been told that. I think that that's the kind of thing that we will probably learn when we have the, the medical debrief. But we, I think mm. when they're saying we need to get the baby out today... And when they say today, you see that stern look of there's not really a discussion to be had on this. Darina did say momentarily, could we not do it tomorrow? And they said, yeah. no, it needs to be today. And so straight away as parents, you go into, we need to make sure you, Darina, are OK. We've got to make sure the baby's OK. So we've got to listen to them. And, you know, by mid-afternoon on that Tuesday, we're in the operating theatre uh, and away we went. Yeah. It's the father looking on it. I just, I was in awe of, of, firstly, how they they looked after us, but just that, the, it's like, I think when you're having a premature baby in particular, there's, it, I, the only way I can describe it was like being in a room where you have these two medical Formula One pit crews. You've got the crew who's <laughs> looking after the mother and doing the operation, and then you've got this group who are waiting for the moment the baby comes out and the umbilical cord is cut to then take the baby to this little sort of unit with a heat lamp on it and a table. And I'm yeah. sort of sat there and I, I did say to Darina, I'm, I'm not going to watch the incision, but I want to watch everything else. So they gave me the thumbs up at the moment the incision had been done. And I peeped over the curtain and watched this. I mean, it's remarkable. I, I realise it's not for everybody. <laughs> like, I don't know if I'd be able for that. <laughs> it's, it's remarkable. Uh, and then yeah. you have this heart-stopping moment as you see the, the umbilical cord cut. This SWAT team come in and take Talitha and over she goes to this table. And there's just that awful moment where you're waiting for that first cry and Carleen was yeah, describing yeah. it so well earlier it's not really a cry it's like a like that a muted sheep's bleat isn't yeah. It, type thing. yeah and you're so waiting cute. you're waiting and then suddenly you heard it and you could see this sort of team around you can't even see the baby at this point because this team are around it making sure the breathing channels are clear and the vital signs are there and yeah. then momentarily she gets brought over and I managed to catch it on video and it's just a, such a beautiful moment when Darina sees Talitha for the first time she's got a little, little yellow hat on wrapped up but then it's really after that it's so different to any other experience in terms of having a baby because off they go to Niku and yeah. they're into the incubator and so the next time we saw her was an hour or so later once you know they'd made sure Darina was okay so it's really the speed at which the events happened is mm. is the thing that I will always remember from that it just happened so quickly but the team that were looking after us were that just remarkable. Leslie, you're probably used to that because y you do it so often. Is that just like a normal thing? You're just ready to go. You know exactly what you're going to do next. Absolutely. I mean, we have uh, drills, you know, like you were saying, Simon, about pit stop crews. And that's exactly what we do. We have monthly drills, sometimes, you know, at two o'clock in the morning. Whoever's coordinating will just pull a buzzer and we'll drill. And it is that very emotionless function that we have to do because the minute that you allow your emotions to cloud that judgment is the, the minute that you make the wrong call on something. You know, when you have a sick mum, because I mean, your wife was very, very sick, and we know that we've got a very early baby that's going to need a lot of support as well, but we've also got a partner yeah. and a partner that for them actually remember it more viscerally and more vividly. So for the partner, actually, the unpicking of it afterwards is really vital and it's very much overlooked. And the preparation as well, 
you know, normally you would have done antenatal classes. You would have been mm. really prepared for birth and who's there, what's happening, what's my role as an advocate. And, you know, you've missed out on all of that preparation for birth, but also for that early parenting phase as well. And, yeah. you know, what should be that sort of joyous, exciting time that you're able to put all these things of your learning into action, that all of a sudden you're trying to pick your way through it. And it's a minefield for everyone emotionally and physically. Yeah. Carlene, and how, when he got home, like, did you have to do specific things for him? Like, surely it would have been different than a baby that wasn't born prematurely. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot more doctors. This is what I think people, I think, sometimes think when you go home, they're like, oh, you know, they're home now, it's fine. Yeah. No, you've you've been used to, like, constant care, constant, like, you know, someone to ask, answer the questions with. Like, I, I always used to say, I think the scariest part is when somebody just gives you the baby. Like, I don't know if you found this with your first, where they're just like, okay, just take it home and keep it alive. Yeah. And you're like, like that fear. But then when you've had everybody helping you and then all of a sudden it's just you yeah it's it's really daunting and I remember we had to have our whole house really hot and he had to sleep in he had his vest and his baby grow then cardigan and then three blankets on top and that that was in our house being about 26 degrees you know because he still had to be kept really warm there was still a lot because with other babies it's is it Leslie you probably know this it's 18 degrees for a bedroom isn't it for yes yeah yeah so 26 I know that's the thing isn't it and then you're doing all this safe sleeping thing but at the same time you're like oh and I this is one thing that I didn't even think was I used to have to wake him up every couple of hours to feed him anyway because to like just to get yeah. his weight up but then even when he was sleeping through I would set an alarm on my phone every hour and a half every two hours because I was like, I need to check he's alive. Yeah. Like, and I, I did that until he was 10, 11 months old. Like I would just set an alarm. And even when he moved into his own room, I'd go put my hand on his chest. Cause I was like, I've got so used to watching you on monitors. You yeah. don't actually get used to watching your baby. That was the scary one for me when they turned the monitors off. Cause he was doing well. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. He's doing well. So they're like, yeah, we'll turn them off. And I was like, what do I look at? They said, oh, just look at your baby. I said, I'm not used to looking at my baby. I'm used to looking at his sats on the screen. Yeah. So how do I know if he's having like a Brady or how do I know if his oxygen's dipped below like 98? And they're like, You're, just look at him. But how? What am I looking yeah. for? It's it's even things like that. It just, it sounds like it's such a good milestone for you to hit in the NICU, but it's it's terrifying. Every Every good milestone brings this new wave of terror with it. When did you get to a point where it wasn't scary anymore? When it happens, I'll let you know. Uh, well, to be honest, with you, I don't know why I asked that because I actually checked my two-year-old daughter last night as well. I go in and check them all and just feel their chests. Um, no, I, so, yeah, I feel like I feel like probably now, like he's doing really well, but I just there's still a lot of stuff that I that I get triggered by that I'm not that I know. So I've got a little WhatsApp group with some of my NICU mums and it's honestly my lifeline. You become like a bit of a community, Simon. I don't know if you found this when you were in there, but you become a bit of a community because you're all going through this experience that none of you signed up for. None of you want to be there, but you're all, you know, you you cheer each other on through those those good moments. You like comfort each other during those horrible moments. And you know, and we, we still like message all the time about like different things. So if I'm having a moment where I think I might be being a bit irrational yeah. I'll say like, oh, is anyone else doing this? And they'll be like, yeah, that's fine. Like if he stops, you know, like he's a toddler. So sometimes he's fussy with eating. I get so panicked straight away, like to a really bad point, because I just think his weight's going to go downhill again. Like we fought so hard to get him to a good weight. 
Mm. Like those kind of things I react really badly to because I think I still carry a lot of the trauma of what he had to do to get out of there. And I still think there's a a really rational fear that they'll take him back in, even though they won't. So... Well, that's understandable. And as a yeah. parent that like you had to go through something that was so traumatic, like it's yeah. it's it's going to stick with you and you just want him to be happy and healthy. Yeah. With Cameron, though, because he was born at 28 weeks, did, did you have a cot at home? Did you have a pram? I, I actually did. But that's partly because my um, I have a dog at home and I needed him to get used to everything. And oh. also, like I say, I am quite a planner. And I think that also brought with it its own trauma as well, because I had to go home. I, I used to go home and everything was too. Mm. everything in my house was too and that was that was really hard to like see all of that so I'm glad in a way we were organized but in a way it was really really not nice to be that organized to have that constant reminder um a reminder everywhere but then it did help when with it with that where I was quickly able to grab a load of stuff to take to the hospital with me because I did have a lot of it already yeah which did help and did you find though with 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 situations like that how was the mental health support that you got I I was lucky I think I did I do still think there's a lot more that can be done and that isn't a criticism of anything that I received but I think there's just so much there's still just this lack of awareness about about it um so I did have some counseling when I was in there and I've actually had some counseling when I came out as well to deal with all of it I say to deal with all of it I don't think there's still a lot of stuff I have dealt with because there's stuff now that I like I say I'll talk about I like to be really open about it like part of the way that I think I heal from it is about being very open about it about sharing my experience but yeah I don't you know sometimes there's some stuff that I talk about and I'm like it'll come back to me and I'm like oh like I don't I didn't remember that that happened so I think the mental health from that side is is good I don't think it it's as great you know if you go back into hospital yeah there's a lot more I think that could be done just broadly anyway you know because you're you're very triggered by the sounds the beeping the smells all over again especially if you've been in the NICU for a long time Mm. so we were in for 57 days well, your life just sort of stops, doesn't it? Completely. It's, that's your life for... Yeah. So I was just going to say a really interesting area that Carleen's talking about because often when we go through events in life, say it's, I don't know, it's a bereavement or the loss of a relationship or just a big life event, it happens. And then what mm. tends to happen is the enormity of what happens hits you and then mentally you begin to deal with it. When you go through something like Carleen's been through and we've been through, you don't really have the time to deal with it because, of course, you're going home with a baby who needs you 24-7. So your kind of self-care and self-management becomes quite difficult because your priority is your baby. And I think it's a really important area because it is a traumatic experience. And it's only, I think, as the weeks and months go on that you begin to realise the kind of impact it's had on you. But you haven't got necessarily the time to invest in yourself because there's so much happening with your little one. But it's I just think it's such an important area. It's probably similar as well, Simon, to what you were saying about like not being able to process it. I think mm. even now, if people have said to you, oh, what was it like? I, It happens so fast, you don't really yeah. know what to say because it just happened yeah yeah and i think that's a really good point because i'm um, just below me here where where i'm sat is our family planner and it was weird when we came home because you'd look at kind of november uh, and october which were going to be the last couple of months before talitha arrived and there's all these things in there like 
we were going to do this village midwife course that they, yeah. you know, to get ready for birth. We had our, our Saturday visit to the baby show at Olympia in the diary. We've got a little um, sort of pre-baby weekend planned away. Ethan was going to go and stay with a friend. We were going to go to a hotel and just have a last little weekend away. And then you're home with Talitha and all, all those dates are out the window. And it's yeah. interesting because... You know, I've posted a little bit about it on, on, on social media. And I think sometimes, and I think this is where you're so right, is that what gets forgotten is actually that these were really important moments. And I, I when I put posts up, people just go, well, the main thing is the baby's okay. Absolutely. Of course it is. And yeah, the main thing course, is Doreen yeah. is okay. Absolutely. Yes, of course, that is the main thing. But we feel a sense of kind of loss that we never got that build up. We never got those last mm. few weeks of seeing Dorina in the last few weeks of pregnancy, being able to go away for a weekend together, be able to go to the baby show. I know for some listening, that's probably their worst nightmare, a baby show, but we were looking forward to. I would absolutely adore that. Yeah, little moments <laughs> like that all disappeared on that early day in October. They were gone, the yeah. redundant entries in the diary. So hang on, you had no nothing. You had, if you hadn't gone to the baby show, you hadn't bought anything. Did you have nothing at home? I had one pram and a baby seat. So we, <laughs> we could have got her home. But once she came home, there, <laughs> there was nothing here at all. So it was just like a whirlwind of, of getting stuff, getting ready. And actually, when we talked to a lot of other parents who'd gone through the same thing, it was that, yeah, that's that lack of, we, we weren't ready for this. We had lots yeah. of plans to be ready. Well, you had two months to be ready. Yeah, we thought we had loads of time and it went out the window. And I think with a lot of mums as well, especially mums that I've spoke to and I definitely had it, even though you know there's nothing, like you, like practically you know in your head there's nothing you could do like to present yeah. it, but the guilt is like indescribable for those moments that you've missed. Like, like our NCT classes actually started while we were in the NICU. So we were actually doing them in the transition room. And I just messaged teachers like, I'm going to skip the labor and pain relief bit because I don't think you need to tell me this stuff anymore. Um, but the guilt of like, I've not, 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 not got things, but I'm not prepared mm. is, is, and that, that's, that's a massive one that I think a lot of people who've gone through this will definitely be able to relate to that. And people say, you couldn't have done anything doesn't help you're like you're the parents you're like you yeah. think you're that's your role and, and like you say especially for like um for Darina Simon like you know her life was in risk like and like you say people say well that's you know the most important thing is you're both okay and it is but it's it's not in, it's important so important in these situations to not invalidate those other feelings yeah like those feelings of loss and those feelings of you can say it's not your fault a million times my husband says it to me all the time I say it to myself I still like I still felt like such a failure mm. though when I came home. Mm. But you don't even think about things like that. Yeah. Simon, you said that there's there's sometimes an expectations on the partners to hold their shit together <laughs> a little bit more because they were the ones that hadn't given birth. For people that are listening that probably feel like they need to support themselves, any advice that you could give them? Yeah, well, firstly, I'd say it, it is important. I think when your your other half is going through something like this, whether it, you know, it's no use on that Tuesday when everything's happening, if I start losing my shit as well. If, if I'm getting yeah. panicky and worried and, and vocalising my fears and my anxieties, that's not going to help Darina because she was already understandably full of fear and anxiety about what was happening. Suddenly, as we've already talked about, the plans have been ripped up and this baby is going to be here, hopefully okay, in the next hour or two. So if I'm also 
getting very fear-filled and panicky and saying things that aren't helpful, then you've kind of got this sort of sort of whirlwind of emotions in that room between the two of you that are sort of spiraling out of control. I think it is important mm. where you can, as the supporting other half, to try and remain calm. The best way I've found to do that is is to keep asking questions. And actually, if it's going to be more helpful for you to step out of the room and have a quiet word with one of the doctors about what exactly is happening, what is this going to mean? What's this going to mean for Darina? Because at that point, maybe her hearing all this isn't going to be particularly helpful. That's something I definitely suggest doing. Don't always have those conversations in front of your other half, if at that point they've already got an awful lot to deal with mentally as well. But I think in in the aftermath, it is really important that that you look after your own mental health because, of course, it's. I always describe this as teamwork. When Tanitha eventually came home, and it was amazing, but I, I so recognise what Carlene was talking about because I'd say on the plus side, if you're looking for positives of having a premature baby, what you do get is this amazing crash course of help. Over those three weeks that we were in, we had this amazing Spanish nurse on the ward. She was the life and soul, but a real character. She had Talitha breastfeeding within 48 hours. We're sitting there going, what? Wow. We're not even sure that the, the, the reflex is there for her to do that. But she was like, no, come on. And very matter of fact about it. And we feel very blessed that Talitha was breastfeeding from day two. She was bottle feeding That's as well. Amazing from day yeah, three. So we've been very lucky. And, and I, I so, again, pick up what you said, Carleen, for some reason, premature babies just have this determination. And Talitha has this determination. I'm just going to do things. The other day, it looked like she was trying to crawl, which is ridiculous. She wasn't, <laughs> but it looked like it. But I think for... for you never the, know. You never know. She'll be walking next week. But it is important <laughs> for you to look after your own mental health, particularly during that period, which I, I found it really difficult um, being the other half for those three weeks that she was in. And again, I'll say we were incredibly blessed that it was just three weeks because we, we met people on those wards who were leaving after months of being in, in yeah. NICU. So three weeks felt massively long, but actually compared to others, wasn't that long. But just that spinning the plates of trying to be there for Darina. And then when she came out of hospital, it actually got more complicated because we wanted her to spend as much time with Talitha as possible. So I'm taking her in because obviously clearly you can't drive after a C-section for quite a number of weeks. So it's only 20 minutes from here, but taking her in, balancing, looking after the needs of a, a recently turned 13-year-old, little bits of work here and there. So you just felt like you were constantly spinning plates. And if you don't look after your yourself mentally, you end up becoming no use to your other half, no use to your baby, no use to anybody as well. So yeah. taking rest when you can. For me personally, I don't drink anymore. Steering clear of probably drinking during that period might be quite helpful. No, looking after yourself physically, grabbing those pockets of sleep when you can, feeding yourself properly. And that's why when people offer help, grasp it you know particularly yeah. practical help people say can we bring you around a meal just say yes i think that's the best help after a yeah. baby yeah a meal bring people food that's like that's what they want because it does take a big load off but you uh Leslie, are amazing we all love midwives obviously you're just you do hold your shit together in a <laughs> massive way but like i kind of look at you, you know like if you're in really bad turbulence on a plane and you always look at the air hostess and it's like if they're like terrified we're in trouble but if they're grand we're grand so that's probably one of the reasons you like to hold it together as well is it Leslie? Yeah as you say the minute that you start panicking everyone else around you thinks right well it really is bad now so let's all just panic yeah but yeah in those sort of emergency situations it's all about just keeping your cool and 
there's always a process, that drill, you're just going back over, you're drilling your head, back through the process yeah. each time. Doing it by the numbers, we say, we just constantly are going back through that process. Have we done that? Have we done that? Have we done that? And I always think if I do my best and stay focused and do exactly what I'm trained to do, I'm maximising everyone's chances here. Yeah. So as a midwife, what does your, like, we all know what a midwife does, but what exactly does your job entail? Oh, do you know, it depends where you work. So my career, I was always on labour wards. So I was always on big, busy um, delivery suites, uh, coordinating. So the entire team of the midwives and the doctors and things. And so there wasn't a lot that I hadn't seen. And I think by the time I left the NHS, there really wasn't much I hadn't seen. And then half an hour later, something else would happen. And But labour wards is very much supporting couples that transition to parenthood in the the easiest, the most straightforward way possible. But you have community midwives that will um, look after couples all the way through the pregnancy, seeing them at home in the postnatal period. You'll have um, midwives that will also rotate onto um, special care. Yeah. So they'll do that whole gamut of all the wards in the hospital, community and uh, special care as well as delivery suites. So it's vast, I think. Everyone thinks that it's all about, you know, cuddling babies. And I think in I did in used career, to think that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, a, it's a very diverse role, the midwife role. And speaking of premature babies, though, so my doctor once told me, I don't know if this is true or not, that a baby could survive from 24 weeks. So babies could be born from 24 weeks and survive. But when is a baby not classed as premature? Is it 37 weeks? Yes, yeah, so anything 36 weeks and 60s and younger is premature. There's varying degrees of prematurity depending on how young they are. But there's, there's babies that have been known to be 22 weeks and a few days that have survived. Wow. So as much as we have that sort of cut off of 24 weeks, they're surviving earlier and earlier with advances in medicine and support and care. Yeah. When So when would the point be where it's okay for a baby, like a preemie baby to be born? Would it be at 37 weeks? It would be kind of, that's ideally as young as you want them. Yeah, they're your sort of very early term. 37 weeks would class as sort of very early term. And yeah. babies that are born sort of 35 weeks to sort of 37 weeks, they tend to need more support, feeding support. So they have to be fed a lot more regularly. We worry a lot about their temperature. And the biggest reason from that age is they've not had the time to put their fat stores down. So they're, you know, their organs are mature. Yeah. It's their fat stores that they've not put down. So, you know, they need their fat stores to be able to use as energy so that in these first few days... So would that as well be why, Carlene, you would have had to have your Yeah, and I think, I think you've touched on a really good point there as well about the different degrees of prematurity because I think for a lot of people that haven't gone through it or are still, there's still such a lack of awareness about prematurity and yes it's a scary thing and you know especially like in NCT I sometimes remember thinking I wish I'd known a little bit more about it Mm. Um, but obviously they don't want to you don't want to scare you but I think a lot of people still think that premature babies are just tiny you know and they're just very tiny babies that's it's just a smaller version and it's it's the implications of like those different varying terms that you're referring to Leslie is has that's what has that knock-on effect of like the long-term challenges health-wise and development-wise that can occur later on so you can have a but Cameron like I say I feel so lucky he he did pretty much have a very obviously Mila unfortunately had the worst journey it's 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 not just we're not just talking about small babies 
it, the, that, that, the difference between a 24-weeker and a 26-weeker and then a 32-weeker, they are, mm. you know, it's huge. And there's lots more you have to think about, like, for example, their immune system is not going to be as developed as a full termer. So we haven't really taken Talitha out yeah. at all. And no, I, and you're I in think, the middle of flu season and everything, yeah. isn't it? It's terrifying. And you, I, I think it's good for your coming back to kind of mental health for both of you, actually, particularly for Darina, you know, not to be kind of housebound. So just popping out for a coffee. We've done lunch. We've gone as far as that, but we went to a, a nice sort of pubby restaurant near here where it was quite empty so we were able to go into a corner and the waiter was lovely so look we'll find you a nice quiet corner over there so we weren't near anyone but there is that slight anxiety we bought one of those signs uh, to hang on the pram about the germs about the germs yeah because yeah. you know some people do have these weird non-existent boundaries when it comes to babies whereas the, you know they'll, they'll yeah. see your baby and they peer right in or they might even go further than that and try and pick them up and it just this weird behavior around babies so we've got to be really careful so you think about far more things i think than you would if it was full term so not going out at the moment with her yeah and she's been home three weeks is is quite different to perhaps how it would have been yeah i think you're for you're forced to become an advocate a lot earlier on like mm. everybody advocates for their children like that is your role as a parent isn't it but like there were definitely some times even i'd be not arguing but you know be you know, try, challenging some of the doctors and the nurses who, by the way, are absolute superheroes. Mm. Like, they're literally just superheroes without the capes in there. They were amazing. Yeah. With, though, Leslie, with, with premature babies, is, is there a reason it happens? Is there is is it just a look at the draw thing? There are some times where it, it is, it's either maybe the cervix, so the mum's cervix is weak. Yeah. And it just opens under the pressure and the weight of baby. Preeclampsia, especially when it's severe, so the earlier preeclampsia occurs the more severe it, it actually is and it's it's a bit like if you imagine um like a hose pipe in your garden with a kink in it mm. so that kink is that narrow blood vessel that you get with preeclampsia we know that those blood vessels just aren't quite as wide and as baby grows and needs more and more oxygen and blood supply that hose pipe that's got the kink in it the pressure needs to be increased so you know you just turn your garden hose pressure up to get it to flow and your blood pressure's got to do the same to force that blood flow through. Yeah. So that makes the woman very, very unwell, especially when it's earlier on in pregnancy. Twins as well. So we know that twin pregnancies carry a greater risk of prematurity, especially when there's complications within that twin pregnancy. So if they share the same sac and the same placenta, especially with identical twins, that we know that there's a risk that one could take more blood than the other. So there's there's lots of different factors. Infection, now, you know, you've got your bag of waters there it's to protect your baby, but it doesn't always stop um, infections or little viral particles either. So all sorts of different things can be a factor. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's not something that you can plan for to prevent. You know, there's, a, there's an argument now, you know, preeclampsia, we can give women aspirin but it lowers the risk slightly yeah but it doesn't eliminate it it doesn't eliminate it and and I think we need to be careful when we do start talking about you know risk factors that we don't end up trying to apportion blame to a certain lifestyle yeah. or certain choices it's a bit of a coping thing isn't it I remember saying to my husband I was like oh, do you remember I had that one undecaffeinated tea I said, that's what's happened. I said, I had that one cup of tea that wasn't a decaf tea and that's why we've gone into premature labour. And he was just like, Carl, that's not it. Yeah. And I was like, but you know, because you're trying so hard to make 
to just kind of get some kind of logic or some kind of explanation. So yeah, Leslie, it's just, it's trying to find reason, isn't it? In that. And the easiest thing to do, unfortunately, is to blame yourself. Like something I've not done or didn't do well enough, even though like, it's not that at all, but it's the easiest thing to do. It's that nature, isn't it? Where we have to understand the why Mm. we all, we will always seek the why, but to do that, we have to almost put blame on ourselves yeah we're we're probably the worst at that actually that we put that blame on ourselves rather than being able to say no it was just a random event with um with Jarena did she have to stay in hospital with Talitha or were you allowed to stay with them or no yeah well Jarena was in because she'd been so ill she was in for another six days so when when Carleen was talking Uh about um seeing a mum coming in on the bed that was her first experience of meeting Talitha properly outside the operating theatre was being wheeled in on a bed and then a couple of days later she was okay to go in a chair but she'd have the drips with her and it was like it was an absolute obstacle course trying to push her through all the double doors whilst making sure the drip didn't come off and and then all the wires Talitha probably had on as well well I mean that's I remember that being the yeah just a really challenging moment because they do look incredibly fragile. I mean, she was three pounds, four ounces, so a little bit, a little bit bigger than, than yours, Carleen, but still incredibly tiny. Yeah. And they look so sinewy and fragile and, and the wires add to that. And so yeah. I remember the first time they said, look, let's do some skin on skin. So off came the top. I was a bit self-conscious. Doreen absolutely loved me t- taking my top <laughs> off in the ward. Uh, but and you sort of hold them and you're, you're worried that just a missed move is going to pluck a wire out. And, and what I love about the Niki staff and the, and the wonderful women who worked at the Stoke Mandeville one is that they're just, they've seen this all before. They're, they've managed this all before. And they, and they knew that Talitha was in a really strong position. She only needed oxygen for a few hours. So in a much better position, thankfully, than some of the other babies that were on the ward. So they're very relaxed. And like, here's the baby. And you're like, oh, my goodness me, it's, co- you know, Talitha's <laughs> covered in wires. You know, what's going to happen here? And they do feel incredibly fragile. And, you know, for Darina to go through there on a bed again, these are not quite the moments you imagined they were going to be when you first found out yeah. you were pregnant and you went through the various trimesters. You you didn't imagine the first time you'd be holding your own child in your arms. There'd be wires everywhere. There'd be that bleeping monitor that, yeah, Carleen, you're so right. It's very difficult to take your eyes off that. Yeah. I'd say that's one of the, the biggest lessons I learned early on is, is don't obsess about the monitor. Stop looking at yeah. the numbers. You know, something <laughs> I wish happens, I'd learned that. The, I obsessed 100%. <laughs> the people around you will come and sort it out. And eventually yeah. you get to know what the sounds mean. It's like everything's okay. But initially you're, you're paranoid about this screen. But it's, it's an alien experience compared to how it would be normally if they went full term. Yeah, a hard thing to deal with, though. But like with people who so say, Carleen, you knew that you were going to have your early C-section. Leslie, for people that know that that's going to happen and they're going to have a premature baby, like, is there any advice you can give them? Like, how could they prepare for something like that? So being able to express more easily. Yeah. So think about you, things that will be comfortable for you, for your own comfort. So clothing, you know, you're sitting around expressing pretty much every two hours when you're not expressing you're you know at the loo trying to you know get yourself all sorted so comfy clothes but clothes that you can easily express that you don't have to constantly undress and the biggest thing is the uh, bonding so having muslin cloths and having one with your baby 
So just part of the sheet, the bottom sheet for your cot, one with baby and one with you, and you swap them regularly so that when you're expressing, mm. you're either smelling your baby, they're smelling you as well. So they're still bonding with you. They've got your bugs. They're starting to get colonised with your bugs as well from that muslin. And snacks. <laughs> the amount of... Cake. You know, <laughs> sandwiches. I mean, you know, most hospitals, they don't really have a proper canteen. It's almost no. like vending machine sandwiches or, you know, shops that you get sandwiches and things like that. So having that ability, either someone dropping food into you mm. or just having that healthy snacks just loads and loads of healthy snacks like store cupboard healthy snacks do you not think that when you're breastfeeding you just all you want is like sweets and carbs like just <laughs> any like, danishes yeah that's what I just felt like I needed a bag of croissants all the time <laughs> another part of that guilt thing is a lot of mums premature mums like struggle because their milk either because then their body isn't prepared or their body their milk can dry up quite fast and I think because you know it's the most valuable thing you can give your baby. Like again, I feel really grateful. My supply was really good, but I could be in there with one of my friends, and she would be, you know, you've got one on each boob. These huge, big industrial like ones in the, in the expressing room, just having a chat over like while you're both there. And she, you know, she could be pumping for like 15 minutes and get five mil from both boobs, and and it's it's it's, it's devastating when you like when you know that that's what you want to do. And I I think. If I'm honest, I know we probably could have come home a little bit earlier with Cam if I chose, like, yeah. to put him on formula. And when I came home, I did have, we, we did end up combi feeding because, like, he came home 100% express breast milk and breastfed, but he was using so many calories to feed because he was, like, I brought him home, he was £4.5. So he was double his mm. birth weight. Like, for me, he was like an absolute beast. Like, everyone else, he still looked like this <laughs> tiny doll, like, um, um, Talitha was probably the same Simon. I mean, like you know if you put them in the the cot like or the push chair when you take them out you can't really even see them because they look so small like in it yeah. but yeah he was he was he wasn't able to put that on because of that so I did end up combi feeding and having to bring formula into that and, and my NICU team were amazing like I say they they championed breastfeeding with me but they also were like it fed, fed his best so like at this, at this point we'd had a few separate sessions at home where they'd come and they'd weighed him and it's like still not really gaining where we need to which is obviously heartbreaking when you're literally feeding him every mm. two hours like what more can I do like I'm doing everything and then they were like we could try doing a little bit for me and I was like done let's let's try it the stress of it the lack of sleep That's, all those all yeah. those things uh do it but I think I think listening to your midwives listening to your doctors is is obviously a hugely important thing in in any kind of birth as well but that was such a great conversation thank you all so much for being super open and honest and I think that this will reach a lot of people who are going through the same thing or people that like know that it's possibly going to happen to them I think it will be really really helpful so thank you all so much thanks pleasure thank you Okay, so we are going to have to wrap things up there. Big thanks to our guests, Carleen Brown, Simon Thomas and Leslie Gilchrist. If you have been affected by anything you've heard, please do visit your GP or see our show notes for further advice and support. Boots Online Doctor offers a mental health consultation with a GP via telephone or video. There's also the support room service offering talking therapy as well as a partnership with online CBT service Livy. On the baby side, Boots Parenting Club is available from pregnancy until your child turns five. And do check out the mother care premature baby range available exclusively at Boots with all clothing designed for maximum hygiene and easier 
your use in incubators. And as always, please do rate, review and subscribe if you've enjoyed the show. Until next time, bye guys. 